I'm a believer just like you, and so you know, as far as is, is my application of so many things, it has, you know, the applications that come very naturally to me are things that I've actually seen and you know, happen directly in my own life. And uh, most of you know that my conversion was considered to be somewhat a uh, dramatic conversion many, many years ago. Uh, and, the, and the strange thing about it is I had people coming up to me, people that I, that I worked kind of indirectly with that maybe knew them by name, but I never really had a conversation with them and this, that, and the other people, you know, were coming up to me. And... Uh, and talking with me about the fact that they had heard that I'd become a Christian and and everything that that encompassed and 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 uh, and I can remember one day that we were at Matthew was she played soccer and we were at a soccer tournament one day uh, and there was a guy that I bumped into that I knew vaguely from work. I knew he worked at Florida Power, and he knew I worked there. We didn't really know each other. I'm not sure we'd ever spoken to one another and, and all of that. But he started talking with me, and it was about, I heard that you became a believer and this, that, and the other. And he started revealing to me that he was a, actually a pastor himself, a lay pastor. Uh, and he said something very curious to me that bothered me even then. He said, I was at the Pepsi Cola machine just a few minutes ago, and all of a sudden, the word that God would have me preach came upon me at that Pepsi machine. And I'm thinking, that sounds a little bit on the odd side to me. Because even then I understood that, that what preaching had to do with was the Word of God and that real preaching comes only through deep study, contemplation, consideration of the Word of God. Not like some lightning bolt that comes from out of nowhere and certainly not from a Pepsi-Cola machine. We're going to be looking this morning at Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. Get to the right place. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of, uh, of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Where I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I can't ever say that word, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of, of Christ, and thus I make my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Just remember that Paul at this point had never been to Rome. As far as we know, there's no indication Paul was ever in Rome at this point. He would wind up there eventually, and that, was where, that is where he actually was martyred uh, around 65 A.D., right about the same time that the Apostle Peter was. But at this time, Paul had never been there, so what he knew about Rome was what people had told him about Rome. Other people that had been there and he had bumped into along his mission travels, uh, that sort of thing, 
And, uh, and he had heard really good things about the church in Rome. And one of the things was how strong their faith was, that, that, that even though it was a church that was greatly persecuted, you need to understand that, they were still standing very strong in their faith. And they had been encouragement to the believers that had been there. He's commended them already, saying, Your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. It's a church that is noted for having great faith and living that faith. One of the other things that Paul is really hyped up about is this, is that the Roman church was a teaching church. It was a learning church. It was a church where there was a very great emphasis upon the importance and the centrality of the Word of God and the life and the well-being of the church and its members as a whole. One of the essential things, one of the most important things. The Roman church was a teaching church. And Paul's intention is to enable them to do a better job at it. If you look at the content of the book of Romans, it's very theologically based, and Paul is laying down groundwork, important groundwork there that is essential to true teaching in the church of Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying here is it was a teaching church, but Paul was saying, well, there's some things you're a little bit fuzzy on. We need to clarify some things. It seems as though there's some things that you don't really understand that are very important and central to the Christian faith. So he clarifies those things. We all are somewhat lacking in our understanding of things. We all need to have a teachable spirit. If you've got everything figured out in your mind, you think you've got everything pegged down to the letter, then let me just tell you something. You're kidding yourself. Being a Christian means forever growing. It means forever learning. It is part of our vocation. Now, some people think that's the vocation of a preacher, pastor person like I am. Actually, I'm a teaching elder. Now, let me just tell you something. My own perspective is the very most important thing that I do every week is what I am doing right now. I commit a large part of my work week preparing for an hour on Sunday morning. My principal and primary job is to make sure that every person in this room and everyone that's watching this is fed regularly the full, whole counsel of God as much as is humanly possible. That is my principal and my primary responsibility, even more so than the ruling elders here. R.C. Sproul writes, he says, Paul knew it was his duty to communicate the full counsel of God. That burden has been shared with every earnest minister of the gospel ever since. The pulpit is where the word of God was to be proclaimed, and the burden of everyone who stands in it is to make sure the whole counsel of God is given to the people of God. I love the PCA. It is not a perfect denomination. But it is a denomination that loves the Word of God and it is devoted to preaching and teaching the full counsel of God, even the very difficult and hard things of God, to every believer that will give an ear to hear it. And every unbeliever who will still give an ear to hear it, even though they may not believe it.
I talk with people that come here, and one of the things that disturbs me that I hear very often is this, is I've been in this, that, or the other church my whole lifetime, and no one ever bothered to teach me anything. I was in a church where evangelism was the focus of everything. Every sermon was evangelistic. And, and what it did was, yeah, there were people who came forward and made a profession of faith. But at the same time, it, it did not feed the people of God. I've been in the church for 30 or 40 years of my life, and I don't know diddly squat. Because I've just heard evangelism sermon after evangelism sermon after evangelism sermon. No one has ever taken the time to really feed me God's Word. And certainly the message of God doesn't come from a Pepsi machine. Preaching and teaching the Word of God comes from thorough, detailed, time-committed, hard work and effort. And I want to thank my church for giving me the time that I need to do the best that I can on Sunday morning. Again, what I do on Sunday morning, what I'm doing right now, is the very most important thing that I do. Everything else is secondary. Now, let me say this. It can be terrifying. Because the last thing anyone wants to do is supposedly speak on God's behalf and say something that is totally wrong. I don't know that anybody in this room would ever want to do something like that. But again, just remember the Protestant Reformation. One of the things that drove it was this idea that Scripture interprets Scripture. This is what I wanted to say to that guy. Even though I was dumb as a post at that point, I didn't really know what to say to it. It just sounded kind of crazy to me. The way to study the Bible is to learn the Bible. And the more you do it, the more you will see the harmony that is all through it. It's not just, it's not disjointed. I, my, someone I dearly love at one point in my life told me that the Bible was very confusing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I'd be willing to bet you that person never read it. Because when I began to read it, that's not what I found in it at all. I saw this amazing connectivism that is in it that goes all the way from cover to cover. These golden things like grace and faith and hope and peace and joy. These are all golden threads that hold the whole book together. They run from one end of it to the other end of it. Don't let anyone discourage you from reading the Word of God and studying because they tell you that it's confusing. Because it just is not. That is a human excuse given for, for something by someone he was not willing to be faithful in doing what God has called him to do. And that is to feed regularly on his word. Let me just tell you this. If you've come here and you've been here for a time now and you don't feel like you've, you've learned anything, then shame on me. I'm not doing my job. At all. But the church in Rome was a teaching church. That was one of the things it was noted for. Paul commends them for their desire to learn and their passion to teach.
not just certain things or certain aspects of Christianity, but the full counsel of God revealed to us in his words. You'll see this all the way through Scripture. You see this in all the, apostles, the, the, the epistles of Paul. and That is a constant. All the other epistles too. Peter and John and etc. This desire of the apostles to encourage the Romans and others to always be in the process of climbing higher and always be in the process of digging deeper. That they would grow in their faith. And as their faith increased, it would be reflected more perfectly in what they actually practiced. Paul did not shy away from the difficult things as pastors, teachers sometimes do. I would imagine that there are pastors that have avoided Romans 8 and 9 for their whole time as a pastor and they have no intention of ever going close to it because these are some of the supposedly most controversial passages in Scripture. I don't know why they're controversial. They're very clear in what they teach. You need to understand something. It's the sinful nature of man that clouds the picture. The unwillingness of mankind sometimes, and even the church sometimes, to take the word of God for what it says. Without trying to run it through this human sieve that we do to, to make more sense out of it in a way that makes it just makes us feel more comfortable and cozy about things. Because that's what Christians are supposed to feel like, right? Just comfortable and cozy all the time. Not challenged. Not stretched, not bent, almost to the point of breaking at times. But just comfortable and cozy where they are so we can all just sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. book of Hebrews is one of my favorite epistles, and we're not even sure who wrote it. Calvin and some other people thought it was Apostle Paul, but no one knows for certain. It is rich. It is deep. It is thorough. The author addresses something that is of great concern. And you need to understand, this is in the first century church. Not long after Jesus is ascended back into heaven. He writes this, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Are we still in the milk? Are we satisfied just with milk? Are we babes in our faith? Because that's all we desire is the milk of God and not the meat. Meat takes a whole lot more energy and effort to digest than milk does. That's why babies are fed milk. It's a lot easier for them to digest it. But let me just say this, there is no path, there is no easy path to Christian maturity. There is no easy path to Christian maturity. It is hard, difficult work. It requires effort. God forbid that we've been Christians for 
decades now, and we still are satisfied with just milk. The PCA is not a perfect denomination. If you ever find one, let me know. I'd like to hear about it. It's not a perfect denomination because every person that's in the PCA is still a sinner. Maybe safe sinners, but they're still sinners. And that includes everybody sitting in the pews and everybody standing in the pulpit. But I love the PCA for a lot of reasons. And one of those is it is a denomination. You may doubt some things about the PCA, but please do not doubt this. We are committed, heart, mind, soul, and spirit, to deliver to you the whole counsel of the Word of God. Whether we like it or not. Whether it grates on our, our, our sinful nature or not, we're committed to teach it. All of it. Like the Apostle Paul. Even those things are the, that are the very most difficult for the ears of sinners to hear. Like I said before, I hear from people been in church my whole lifetime, and no one's ever taught me these things that you're teaching me. I've never heard any of this stuff before. It's all new to me. One of the reasons I preach through books is this, is to protect you from me. To protect you from my own agenda. It forces me many times to preach from passages that I never would, of my own free will, preach. It's not a good thing for pastors to sit in their, in their office on Sunday morning or stand in front of a Pepsi machine. And just... Their own thought press determine, well, I think the congregation needs to hear this, that, or the other next week. I mean, it's easy to take sermons. You preach sermons for little snippets or tidbits from the Bible. It's a lot harder to do it in context. Just remember the Reformation. One of the main fighting points of the Reformation was this. The understanding that every Christian must grow in their knowledge of the things of God, without which they will not mature as a Christian. For us to learn means that we need to be stretched here, there, and yonder to the point sometimes of almost snapping. Paul was an apostle. Very special office that Jesus appointed men to. To immediately carry the gospel that he began to spread forth into the world after he ascended back into heaven. There were not many called to be apostles. There are no apostles any longer. There hasn't been an apostle since the last of the apostles died 1,900 years ago. Very often we want to categorize the work of the apostles. Very often we think that Peter and John were the, the apostles who were supposed to carry uh, the, the message of the gospel basically to the Jewish people. And Paul had this particular special calling of, uh, of carrying the gospel message to the Gentiles. Well, let me tell you something. When you consider the Bible, that becomes pretty doggone foggy. 
Because what you do is you find Peter and John sometimes reaching out to, to, to non-Jews. And at the same time, Paul very often preaching the gospel to Jews. So sometimes I think this, this categorizing of the apostles in this way is really mm, false. This is what Jesus said to the eleven. This is not what he said to the apostle Paul. This is what Jesus said to the eleven about their job. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. And guess what? To the end of the world. Gentiles too. Jesus said this about the Apostle Paul. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So what I'm telling you is part of the commissioning statement of Jesus to every one of the apostles is you have two mission fields. One is the Jewish people and the other is everybody else. In practice, you'll find this. As you go through the book of Acts, Paul, his normal practice was to go to the Jewish synagogue first. Every city he went to, if there was a Jewish synagogue, that's where he went first to proclaim the gospel. This apostle to the Gentiles. That was his practice. It was only after they rejected what he said that he turned to the Gentiles, typically. There are no apostles, but does that mean that there are not people now that continue to be called to proclaim the word from the pulpit? And it doesn't mean that at all. My task, our task, is a little bit more difficult. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. But when the gospel is proclaimed in word, and not only in word, but in deed, it accomplishes two things. It brings salvation to the yet unsaved, and it also brings sanctification to those who are. That we would grow and we would mature in Christ. And another thing I want to, want to bring to mind this morning is this is that those who truly proclaim Christ's message are simply his mouthpiece. He is speaking to them and through them. Because that is true. No one has any ground or any right to be all puffed up and proud. Look at what God has done and is doing through me. Of all the people in the church, if anyone had any ground to boast of, it would have been the Apostle Paul. He suffered unbelievable things many, many times, maybe most of the time. From Scripture, it would be easy to argue that no one endured quite as much bad stuff as the Apostle Paul did, not even Peter and John. So if any New Testament believer has the, any right or any ground to brag or boast about what they've done for Jesus, it would have been Paul. He says in 2 Corinthians verse 10, verse 17, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. It's one thing to rejoice in what God has done through you. It's quite another to rejoice in what you believe you've done for God. And you don't find any boasting from Paul anywhere, even though he's got far more ground to boast than anybody else. Unfortunately, I've met Christians at times who come across as very prideful and even arrogant in regard to the things that they've accomplished for Christ. Years ago, I went to a training session for Evangelism Explosion. It was at a Baptist church in Daytona Beach. And I had some interesting conversations that week because, you know, it was developed by D. James Kennedy at Coral Ridge, which is a PCE church, and and a lot of these pastors are going, he really believes that, but this is what he teaches? Yeah, makes perfect sense to me. Why doesn't it make sense to you? (laughs) But there was something that happened that was really disconcerting to me that week. And one of the things was you went through training sessions, and you had you know, mock conversations with other people. You know, you teamed up with people and you did gospel presentations to them and things like that. But the, the whole training came to culmination at the end of the week where you went out and you made visit, visitations to people in their houses. Usually people, people that maybe had come to church once or, or whatever, but no one really knew where they were at as far as their salvation went, that sort of thing. But we went out, uh, and we were divided into small groups of people. We went out, and we did these visitations and things like that. And, uh, but then they had this gathering back at the church, this big celebration. And what it was was a celebration of the number of decisions they got for Jesus that night. And it was just with this arrogant, this pride. There was no sense of praise God for what he's done in us and through us. It was taking credit, as far as it sounded to me, for something you didn't even do. Paul knew this. If anything good has come from my ministry, it's because God's been in it. God's doing the work. I'm just his assistant. Well, the truth is this, is that form of evangelism has proven itself over and over again not to be very effective over the long haul. I was sitting there thinking, I have little doubt that a good number of those decisions will in time show themselves to be false, which they in fact normally do. And even if there were genuine conversions as a result of what you've done, you really don't deserve the credit the Holy Spirit does. If anything came out of what you've done, it's not because you did it, it's because the Holy Spirit was driving it. You were just an instrument that he used. But I'm telling you guys and gals, my impression was these people were boasting and bragging and looking down their nose at other people because we got 15 decisions for Jesus tonight. Came across to me as very prideful and very arrogant. Not one time that I hear anybody say, Praise God for the Holy Spirit. The impression I got was these people were all puffed up and proud because they were willing to do something a lot of Christians just aren't. Now let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with rejoicing in God's 
using us. But we got to give credit where credit is due. And it is never due to me, and it is never due to you. Period. Paul's impact on the ministry has been unbelievable. There's a sense in, in, in which every person that has ever come to faith through the study of the Word of God, if they've got beyond the Gospels or, or whatever, and they get into the epistles, that Paul has had a part in the conversion of pretty much every person in the New Testament church. Because of the 27 books of the New Testament, 13 of them were written by the Apostle Paul. I can tell you right now that Paul had something to do with my conversion. And I would imagine that Paul had something to do with the conversion of the vast majority of people in this room. So, so if anybody has any ground to boast, it would be Paul. But what does Paul do? Does he boast in what God has done through him? No, he gives all the credit where it's due, and that is to the Lord. Being used by God in mighty ways ought not to, to make any of us prideful. It should humble the mess out of us. That God would use me in that way. It should shock us. It should surprise us. It should humble us. Paul was a missionary. Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring to the Gentiles obedience by word and deed, by the power of the signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I can never say that, I've already said that, uh, have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul saw the world as a mission field. He dedicated his life to spreading the gospel as far as he could get. But at the same time, Paul understands that he's merely the means that Christ used to do the work. That's where his blessing is. You know, it's easy to be falsely, or have false humility. Be falsely humble. Matter of fact, very Christian that is entered into that realm, it's part of the formula. False humility is simply appearing to be humble for the purpose of impressing other people for the great faith that you have. In other words, painting the picture for other people, you want to be a wonderful, great Christian person, then be like me. Do what I do, say what I say, think what I think. What Paul is saying here, in essence, is get over yourself. For up to you, you would stumble, bumble through all of it and not accomplish anything. Give credit where credit is due. Paul understands that he was merely the means that Christ used to do his work. See, Paul, when he says that he deserves no credit, he really means it. Very often when people say they don't mean, they don't deserve any credit, what are they saying that? Because they want people to really think they are humble, when in fact they're not. It's easy to look humble from the outside and being arrogant is all get out on the inside.
Christ, through his Holy Spirit, was a driving force behind everything that Paul accomplished, and he knew it. And he lived it. Illyricum, have you ever even heard of that? It's the only place in the Bible the name of this place appears. Do you even know where it is? You know what it was. Was it a town? Was it an area? Was it a country? What was it? Well, it was a Roman province. A Roman province that was located along the Adriatic Sea between Greece and Italy to the northwest of Macedonia. You read the, the, the Acts of the Apostles where, where, and the Epistles of Paul to some degree where it's described where all these places that Paul went to. It's not meant, this place is not mentioned there at all. But it is mentioned here. So you need to understand something that our record of the missionary activity and, and travels of Paul is not a complete record. That Paul actually did far more than what is in the book of Acts. And one of his rules was this, is he didn't typically go to places where the gospel had already gone forth through the other apostles or other people. Where Paul went, he typically went on virgin soil. Places where people had not been exposed to the gospel at all. That was the pattern in his ministry. He wasn't following the, on the coattails of other people. The message he preached very often was a message that no one there had ever heard. Ever. He boldly went where no evangelist had gone before. Sounds like Star Trek. In other words, Paul didn't piggyback on the evangelistic efforts of other people. Paul was a true missionary. Now there are places in the world today, believe it or not, where the gospel still has not been proclaimed. The church has had 2,000 years to do it. There are places. You know, today they don't talk about nations so much as they talk about people groups. There are certain people groups that have been identified as, as people who have never had the gospel presented to them. But at the same time, there has never been a religion that has had the impact upon the world picture to any degree close to what Christianity has. Islam is bring, uh, breathing down our neck now. You need to understand that. But up to that point, none has come close. The name of Christ is proclaimed across this world. It's because people have been willing to do what Paul was willing to do. To leave comfy, cozy home. To leave sometimes family and friends and a secure, good life behind. To enter into the unknown realm. Because they were convicted by God that he would have them be missionaries. We are in desperate need for people who are willing. But let me tell you, you can't do it unless you're really called to it. 
It is a calling. You can't just say, well, I'm going to be a missionary. You have to be called by God and prepared for it by God. Some of you have heard me mention the name of Hudson Taylor a few times over the years. He was a 19th century English missionary to China. China was closed, absolutely closed up like a tin can for, for centuries to the rest of the world. And the door began to swung, swing open. And as soon as that did, one, some of the first people that entered into mainland China were European missionaries. And Hudson Taylor was one of those. There's still a vestige of his work in China. The church that he started there is still there in part, not to the level it was at one time. The China Inland Mission still there at work. But he was talking with a, with a Chinese, a, a new Chinese convert one day. And the convert asked him, he said, how long have the glad tidings, or have you had the glad tidings in England? How long have you known about this gospel? How long have you known about this Jesus? And Hudson Taylor answered him for hundreds of years. And the Chinaman said this. He said, what? Is it possible that you have known about Jesus so long and only now have come to tell us? My father sought the truth for 20 years and he died without finding it. Why? There's only one possible conclusion, and that is to, that some people, when God told them to go, they didn't. They chose not to. I love the PCA for a lot of reasons, and one of those is where a piece is a denomination that's very committed to the Great Commission. We're not a very big denomination, but we have literally hundreds of missionaries spread across the globe. And they're growing in number day by day by day by day. My whole point here is this, is we all can't get up and go somewhere. But we all ought to be involved in the going. In other words, if we can't go or God's not called us to go, then, then we need to understand that we're part of the sending process. That we send other people that God has set apart as missionaries to go and do that particular special work. All of the people that we support as foreign missionaries, that's what they're doing. They're answering God's calling. Instead of saying no, they go. So please be in prayer for Don and Claire Lee's cop. He's an American. She was born in Switzerland. They live in France. And what Don is doing, he does some degree of missionary work. You need to understand that. He goes and he teaches. He's a seminary professor. He goes and he teaches in North Africa sometimes, sometimes to audiences that are very predominantly Muslim. That can't be very comfortable to do that. But he does that. But he is actively involved in preparing pastors to go forth to the nations. Joel and Stephanie Swanson are in France. She's been there now for probably 
probably close to 25 years. And what she does, this is her vocation. She goes to a place where there's a fledgling church plant. And she does whatever needs to be done to benefit that group, to advance their work, to evangelize the people that live around her and in her neighborhood. She and her husband very often spend a whole day or a whole more three or four hours on Thursday mornings. They do this. It's common practice of just traveling, just walking around the city that they're in, doing nothing but praying for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go forth to these people. And once the church plant gets on its feet, they leave and they go somewhere else where they don't know anybody, and they do the same thing all over again. You all know Don Mountain and his wife, Merrill, with Equipping Pastors International. They're going and they're training church leaders. They're giving, they're giving guys in Africa uh, and in India a seminary-level education who otherwise would have no education at all. You may not know it, but we are part of the Florida Church Planning Network. We give some of that money that you put in the offering box today goes to church planning for, for PCA church plants in Florida. Whether we're directly connected to them or not. And we have Michael and Cindy. They're in Honduras. And they know that that's where God wants them to be. There's, there's no doubt in Michael's mind. There's no doubt in Cindy's mind as far as I know. I've never heard anything like that. But they are doing what God called them to do. And that is living their life in a manner amongst the people. with the hope and the passion that they will come to know the true Lord and God through Jesus Christ. They have no intention of coming back. If they lost every bit of support that they're getting, I guarantee you they still would not come back. They're doing what God called them to do. And they need to know we're behind them. 100%. Amen. Praise team, come.